This is an ABC podcast. Poo, 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 poo. Let's be honest. Poo is funny. Poo, plop, 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 poos. <laughs> I pride myself in being able to talk about pretty much anything without getting squeamish. It is essential for hosting ladies we need to talk. But I have to admit, I'm just not that keen on talking about poo. And part of that is because it's gross and also kind of private. But when we asked you for your poo stories and agreed that you could be anonymous, well, we had to push the full flush button to get through them all. I'm pretty sure I suffer from something called poo PTSD. I had started seeing a guy who actually lived in my apartment block. I had stayed over at my then boyfriend's house. I woke up in the morning and just felt really off. I could just feel my diarrhoea that I'd had all morning starting to run down my legs in front of him. And I just turned and ran to the bathroom. I was wearing trackies. I threw them off and then I had to stuff toilet paper up my bum with no undies on and then get back in the car and pretend nothing had happened. It was a bit more than a fart. I (laughs) realised that I'd soiled the pair of white jeans that I was wearing. I was six months pregnant and shopping at Coles when I realised I needed to go to the toilet. Unfortunately, just metres from the toilet, I shat myself right in front of Donut King. To this day, every time I walk past Donut King or smell donuts or see donuts, I get this nauseous feeling in my stomach like I'm forever scarred. Wow. That is hilarious, but oh my God, I'm so happy that didn't happen to me. And these are like the worst of compilation mixtape poo stories. But we seem to carry so much poo shame about the everyday basic stuff too, like pooing at work, needing to poo at a friend's place, heaven forbid, or farting in front of a partner. It's partly because women aren't meant to smell bad. And I'm being honest here, a lot of us like to pretend that, in actual fact, we never poo. I think women can be quite uncomfortable about the the thought that they do poo. And I think one of the signs of this is that a lot of women never do a poo outside their own home. But we deserve to poo, just like everyone else, because it's, well, above all, it's necessary. So let's sit and digest that for a while. I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies, we need to talk about poo. There are lots of joys in hosting Ladies We Need to Talk, and chatting to a poo expert is totally one of them. When you see young people and you talk to them about what their their bowel habit is, they don't like to open their bowels at school. They don't like to open their bowels at their boyfriends or somewhere else that's not home. This is Dr Katie Ellard. She's a gastroenterologist in Sydney and says women hold a particular shame around pooing. People certainly don't like using public toilets. Now, some of that might be because they don't feel they're clean, but some of it is, I think, just a reluctance to sort of deal with these issues. Yeah, and a lot of people can't do it in a public toilet because they don't want anybody to hear them doing it. That's right. But, but, I mean, what are people going to think if they hear somebody pooing that they poo? (laughs) That's right. I think sometimes it's because people take a while 
and they don't want people to be thinking that, oh, what's going on? It's a bit peculiar. Is that person constipated? Is that person <laughs> straining? Well, sometimes people are certainly worried about noises and splashes and, and farts and wind and all those sort of things. It's understandable, but we're all human and you've got to poo. Okay, I'm seriously glad to have that out in the open because I can't tell you how many lame jokes I've heard about how women don't fart and certainly don't crap. I get that poo is kind of disgusting, but everyone does it. And if we don't talk about poo because we're ashamed that we have the capacity to actually smell bad, it means we might not know what's healthy and right for our bodies. So here's a question. How much do you actually know about your poo. Dr Katie says even though pooing is totally universal, there are distinct differences in how women poo compared to men. Even anatomically there are differences because women's colons are about 10 centimetres longer and obviously our colons have more sort of other organs to go around like ovaries and, and the uterus, etc. The other thing is your periods actually affect your bowel habit quite frequently. So men can have a more straightforward time of all this sort of thing and are generally not nearly as self-conscious about those issues. Can you explain how your poo changes throughout your menstrual cycle? Generally, people report that they get constipated in a couple of days before they start to bleed and then once they start to bleed, the motions become looser. Now, for some people, the constipation beforehand is the problem. For some people, the diarrhoea that comes once they start to bleed is the problem. And for some people, it's just an interesting physiological observation. So if I have a patient who gets really constipated beforehand and their period's pretty predictable, I would get them to take something to soften it in those days. Very occasionally you might have someone who is really troubled by the diarrhoea that comes with bleeding and you might get them to take something to sort of try and bulk it up and make it less troublesome Mm. to them when they start to bleed. But quite often once people understand their bodies, they're not so worried and they can just deal with it. It doesn't happen for everybody and perhaps because female issues have been rather ignored in medicine for many decades, there really isn't a lot of data on this sort of stuff. We weren't taught it in medical school. It is something that you find when you talk to people over many years. Is it bad to hold your farts in? It can make you make you feel uncomfortable, but it won't actually damage you. What about holding poo in? Well, we do tell people that if they have the call to stool, which is sort of the formal call, you know, name for it, you should answer the call to stool. You shouldn't (laughs) ignore it because you can then get constipated. You can find that the motion sort of dries out and can act as a bit of a block. And then it's harder to actually push it out because the, the pelvic muscles that are involved in doing that haven't quite got the power to, to push out a really big, hard motion. So You're it, kidding me. What? So first of all, it can dry out. It can get hard and become lumpier and drier <laughs> if you don't go to the toot. How often should we poo? Between three times a day and three times a week are regarded as, as the normal numbers. Mm. But you don't have to be overly concerned if you're a bit different from that but you're quite comfortable. So I would have some patients who go once a week, but they don't have to strain, they don't have a hard motion. That's also acceptable. It's not going to increase your likelihood of having disease down the track. I don't want to sound cute, but do people who only poo once or twice a week, are they grumpy? No. No, they're okay? They can be fine. They can be fine. 
Because I get grumpy if I haven't done it. You know, I feel crazy. Well, some people feel very uncomfortable, but they're they're not people who we would say it's okay for for that to be their pattern. Mm. But there are still people who are absolutely fine. So you're talking about patterns. What if your pattern is a daily poo and then you don't poo for you suddenly your pattern changes to being twice a week or three times a week? Well, the first thing to do would be to think, why is that? So I'm sure you've heard of the mind-gut axis. There really is a very close correlation between our mood and our, our bowels. And that can be a two-way street. Like if you don't go, you might feel grumpy and unhappy. Or if you're depressed or anxious, your bowel habit may well change. So when people get significantly depressed, they often get constipated. And when people are anxious, they often go a good deal more. So sometimes people would come along and talk about their their bowel habit, where really that's not the main issue that's going on. Okay, damn, that's sort of disappointing because I wanted a medal for regularity. A bronze log-shaped medal. (laughs) I have to say that I don't spend much time actually looking at my poo and I'd love to lie and say that's because I'm too busy reading highbrow science journals and the poetry of Mary Oliver, but I digress. If we were to look at our poo, is there a perfect shape? I asked Dr Katie... Well, I don't think there's really a gold-plated ideal poo. <laughs> we joke at conferences sometimes that the, the perfect poo is sort of twice around the bowl and pointed at both ends. But let's face it, in our culture where we're not eating that much fibre, that's really not going to happen. The consistency of the motion is still going to vary depending on what you eat, the bugs that you have living in your colon. But for comfort, most people find that it's better to be passing a formed motion. There's a thing called the Bristol stool chart, which you can have a look at on Google Images, which is a a diagram of all the different sorts of consistencies and shapes and styles of poo. I've just opened it. It looks like um, a barbecue menu that's sort of like a little patty. (laughs) One of them looks like a picnic, picnic bar. It does, and that's a goodie. (laughs) So, okay, back to this idea of the perfect shape. There's no perfect shape, but... I remember a health practitioner telling me you want a floaty fluffy more than a stinky sinky. I don't think that's really true. It's more a matter of of comfort. Like when you empty your bowel, you want to feel you've finished. You don't want to feel that there's still motion in your rectum that you haven't been able to push out or feel very, very bloated. So you, you really want a, a motion that you can, can deal with and be comfortable with mm. rather than try and achieve some sort of aesthetic... Bristol stool chart option. Okay. I'm relieved to hear that. That's, I've never heard that, so this is new to me. Is it weird for if you need to poo, say, like five minutes after a meal? It's quite common and it's because there's a particular reflex which is called the gastrocolic reflex. So what happens is you put food into your stomach and it makes your colon contract. So sometimes people misinterpret that and think that what they've just eaten is coming out the other end and they're going to starve to death and they get terribly disappointed (laughs) when they haven't lost any weight. But it's actually the reflex, but it's quite a common thing. And some people even use that to go to the toilet. You might have met people who have an espresso Mm. every morning, so they go. It's a predictable thing and there's no harm to it. Right, so it's totally okay to need, need your coffee as a sort of a poo trigger. It's a very, very safe, very cheap, pleasant option if that's what you need. All right, great to know. I'll enjoy my morning coffee and toilet time in peace. On that note of peace, pooing can be kind of tranquil. It's a place where, if you're lucky, it's free from disturbance and time for you to just do you. 
I'm Zoe Coombs-Ma, poo expert. I am a vegan and I poo up to four times a day. Zoe's not a poo expert. She's a comedian, but she has spent a lot of time thinking about it. For instance, Zoe's first ever memory is of a faecal incident. And a recent show she did was made up of 15 years' worth of chats between her and her best mates, and poo was a constant topic of conversation. So Zoe is not shy when it comes to Code Brown. For Zoe's toilet time, like a lot of us, she craves solitude. I was actually talking to my partner about this yesterday because I always wait for her to leave the house before I put, well, I try to wait until she leaves the house. And she's like, I don't care, whatever. Who cares? Why are you so uptight? And I'm like, no, I'm not uptight. It's, that's me time. I don't want you around ruining it. I want to be alone. Get out. She faffs a lot in the mornings. I'm always like, you're always faffing with your keys and picking your handbag up and putting it back down. I want to poo and I'll get antsy and she knows it when I need to poo because I'll be like, are you leaving? (laughs) (laughs) I know someone who, um, well, a friend of a friend in America who sells her poo to a man on the internet for like $500 a poo. She (laughs) She puts it in a Ziploc bag, sends it to him like once a month. So he finds it very sexy. If you stayed over at his Why? house, I think you'd be hard-pressed to not poo. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I guess he, like, I don't know, he smells it, rubs it on himself. I have not. I don't know. It's a sex thing. It's got to be a, it's a sex thing. But for the rest of us, yeah, it is, it is awkward. I've been in the situation where I've slept with someone and then they've obviously pooed. Mm. It's a bit of a turn-off. I feel like with, like, period positivity and stuff, we're, we're, we're trying to be more woke about our body f- functions and periods, for instance, are kind of cool. But poo, we haven't got there yet. No. And do you think we'll ever get there? Well, there's the poo emoji. I think the poo emoji has done, <laughs> oh, it's brought us leaps and bounds ahead of where we were in a pre-emoji world. Has it? It I just looks like chocolate bit. ice cream, chocolate soft serve. Yeah, but isn't that... What do your poos look like? <laughs> Not like that. They don't have little eyes in them. Yeah, but it's like a perfect swirl, little eyes and a smile. No? Well, I mean, I suppose it is a bit gross. Like pooing is, it's waste, it smells, it's, you know. Like there's a reason why we're disgusted by poo. It's like, you know, it's not, you don't want to get it in your mouth or anything. Like you'll get sick. <laughs> but I don't think it ever will be gorgeous. I don't think, I think if we get to the point where we're like, oh, poo, oh, love it. Like <laughs> we've gone too far. Then we're the guy on the internet paying $500 for a stranger's poo in a bag. Like that's not, we shouldn't be too cool with poo. No. no. I always find it interesting when people will get a colonic and that's become some sort of, like now that's a beautician's job basically. Imagine if you got into, you wanted to be like a beautician and you got, you're got you like, I want to do people's hair and makeup and then you end up putting a tube up someone's bum <laughs> for some rich ladies who doesn't want to poo herself. <laughs> Have you ever done a colonic? No. No. I feel like it's. You know, we talk all about gut health and stuff. It's like is, that's taking care of itself. Mm. I don't want to put stuff up there and, like, it's a self-sustaining system, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it's got its own checks and balances. Have you had a colonic? No, but I, one time I was dead set up for it. Yeah. I think I was a bit blocked up and then that passed and I, I moved on. Yeah. But, but it is on my to-do <laughs> list at some point. I've got a hack, actually. Do you want to hear it? Yes. I, this is one I only use when I know it's a rotten one. <laughs> Yep. All right, don't judge me. What you do is when, when it's pretty much like it's out, yep. you flush the toilet. You just reach behind you and flush it and it's 
Oh, yeah. And then you do all the wiping and the, you know, tidying up and then you reflush again and that way it doesn't have time to kind of hang around. And I've done that. Yeah. yeah. It works, right? Like it's yeah. not 100% effective. Yeah. This is the thing. I think it's like, it's not like, don't just go pooing everywhere. Like don't just, you know, pop a squat on the bed or anything. But, like, you know, have some shame. <laughs> the other thing that you can do so that there's no sound yep. is you can... Uh, you can put a bit of a bit of toilet paper, create a little little toilet paper landing pad. So a little hammock. A, yeah, a little hammock so you don't get the plop. Because <laughs> it's not, I mean, it's not sexy. It's never going to be sexy. Zoe, have you got any ideas about how we can get rid of poo shame for women? A little bit of shame about your poo is probably healthy. Mm. But in general, I think it's about, you know, accepting that we all poo. And that it is a human thing and it's not any different for men or women. So I think it's about reframing it, looking at it as a, an equality issue. I want it on the record that I believe in equal poo opportunity and that while you mightn't be like, oh, my God, poo, you're the best, come over here, let's get a selfie, it is actually kind of amazing. of our poo is made up of water and the rest of the solid stuff is mostly alive, which is horrific but true. Scientists reckon that in every 100 grams of poo, you'll find nearly 100 billion bacteria. Our poo also contains indigestible vegetable fibre. In fact, the more fruit and veggies you eat, the more faeces you'll excrete. If you eat more fruit and veg, your poo could grow by as much as 500 grams per day. The other facet of our poo is stuff our body wants to get rid of, like the remains of medicine, food colorants or cholesterol. So our bodies are super cool, but sometimes our bowels don't always function in the way we want them to. People are uncomfortable with it and it's humiliating. Throughout my entire life, when I've had to leave the house, I'm always aware of uh, where I can go to the toilet. This is Jacinta Parsons. She works at the ABC as a breakfast radio presenter in Melbourne. Jacinta lives with Crohn's disease. It's something that makes me want to go to the toilet all the time. I've got a lot of pain in my body. And I also get inflammation throughout my bones. You get really tired with it. So you said you've had it for 20 years. How does it happen? It's an inflammation of your digestive system. It's an overactive immune system. So basically my body attacks my uh, good cells, I suppose, and it creates a reaction. So it's a disease. It's different to IBS, for example, that has a reaction to sort of a diet system. This is more to do with the digestive system itself. So how do you manage it? At the moment, I'm on um, some medication that's anti-inflammatory. So using medication to dampen down that reaction. So there's that, but there's also, I guess, a growing understanding that your lifestyle has an impact. And I guess that is in some ways a wonderful revelation, but also frustrating because often as well, when you've got disease, people will kind of turn the finger back to you and say, but what are you doing? You know, how is this also your fault somehow? Mm. And I think that's 
part of the challenge sometimes when you are describing your health is that whilst you have some control, there's a great degree of aspect to the to being out of control to symptoms and the, the impact that it has on you. You talked about it giving you this feeling of needing to go to the toilet. Say you're out for dinner or you're having lunch with your mates. Are you kind of mapping out routes to the bathroom? Yes. And you're always thinking, yeah, how also... <laughs> Just, you know, doing that, I mean, having that sort of experience is horrible. It's just an awful thing. I will just tell people I have to go to the toilet right now. It will be an immediate need. Jacinta, you wrote an article about what it's like to live with a chronic illness because there's no cure for what you've got, Crohn's disease. Um, And you spoke about not being able to hold down a job and therefore pay the rent at, at points in your life. Can you help us understand what sort of perspective the disease has given you about life? Oh, I could probably do, a, you know, a four-hour lecture series on it because it has been the greatest experience in some ways because I think any time that you find yourself reduced, you know, you've lost your job, you've had to pull out of university because you can't finish it, you're asking people who you love, who you have a, you know, my partner to care for you. So you are completely kind of stripped, I think, at points in your life of identity and how you see yourself. It was my experience to then have a really good opportunity to say, wow, you know, at times when I'm so sick that the best thing I could do is get out of bed and walk, you know, to the kitchen, I'm going to really enjoy that walk, you know. Mm -hmm. It has an opportunity to get you to see a side of the world that we often do not have time to see. It's a very beautiful way of putting it. Jacinta, this episode is about poo and and going to the toilet. Do do you think that there's a particular shame associated with having a bowel disease as a woman, like that it's less acceptable or something? Yes, absolutely. I think shame is an incredible part of this story. And I had a colostomy bag for um, many years throughout this illness, and I don't have one now. It was incredible for me to have that experience as a woman. I had a baby with that colostomy bag and to have to steal myself in the world. And I made a choice really early on with it and it was a really hard choice to make, but I decided that I would not be ashamed of it. And I made sure that I spoke about it and I owned it. And I didn't feel proud, but I acted proud. Crohn's disease isn't the only thing that can go wrong when it comes to your bowels. There's also bowel cancer, which in Australia is actually the second most common cancer in both men and women. Dr Katie Ellard, the gastroenterologist, says that while men get more bowel cancer than women, it's more common for women to suffer from irritable bowel syndrome. She says 20% of young women have IBS. You do a phone survey, which I'm not suggesting you do, and ring up young women and say, do you get a variation in your bowel habit between constipation and diarrhoea associated with abdominal bloating and discomfort? About 20% will say yes. So that's what irritable bowel syndrome is? Yes. Can it be related to alcohol abuse? Because I used to get terrible guts. My young patients tell me that's called a grog bog, (laughs) which is honestly not a nice (laughs) phrase. But that's different really because irritable bowel is really where it's a pretty consistent pattern. Right. Whereas you're able to identify that there's there's a trigger. Mm. So when people come along and they have diarrhoea, uh, you do look for the triggers like alcohol, excessive coffee, 
or sometimes it's really unpredictable. Like some people might find it's it's smoothies or or just juice or one of those sort of very high sugared drinks that will turn turn them on. Or in summer, some people will have a lot of trouble with stone fruits. So there are there are identifiable triggers, but the people with irritable bowel can't always work out what it is, and it's really quite consistent. It would go on for weeks at a time. Right. And so what do you do? Well, you, you see what's going on in their lives mm. and then you might look at things like um, increasing their fibre. Sometimes you would do that with diet or sometimes you'd suggest Norma fibre, which is a, just a little fibre supplement you can buy over the counter. Some people would use psyllium. Look at the low FODMAP diet, which was developed at Monash University. That really works quite well for some people. But for other people, really, they, as long as they know it's okay, it doesn't really bother them that much. We hear a lot about how childbirth can affect urinary incontinence. Yes. Talk, people talk about it all the time. But can childbirth affect, I guess, the other kind of continence? Definitely. So there was a study published some years ago where they did a, an ultrasound of the anal sphincter before and after people had babies. So I think people were great to go in this study. So basically <laughs> they had a probe put in their back passage and... The ultrasound was used to assess the uh, the anal sphincter to see if it was complete. And a third of women had a tear associated with giving birth. Wow. Now, not all women then had troubles, but there's clear evidence that women are more likely to have troubles than men as they get older with continence. And if you've had big babies, long labour, if you've had a forceps delivery, you're more likely to end up having some troubles with incontinence. Doesn't mean you will but they are risk factors. I feel like we can't do an episode about poo without mentioning gut health. Because have you noticed how groovy it is to try to boost the healthy bacteria in your gut? Visit most supermarkets and you'll see about 30 different varieties of kombucha. And then there's all the pickles, kimchi, sauerkraut and heaps of different probiotics that you can buy too. The idea is that all these products help create a flourishing gut microbiome, which is basically all the material in your large intestine. And get this, we've actually got a kilo of bugs living in there at any one time. It's such a trendy area of research right now that it feels almost like we're being lured into thinking we need a designer gut microbiome. Dr. Katie says, yes, sometimes we are overcomplicating it. The first thing to think about with gut health is what you eat. And I get very frustrated with people who want to have a, a poo transplant, but they're not prepared to actually modify their diet. So we think that one of the reasons that inflammations of the bowel, like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, are becoming more common here and in the third world, where they used not to exist, is that people are eating more crap. They're eating a lot more food that's got emulsifiers and e-numbers and all those sort of things than used to happen, you know, 50 years ago. So we think that emulsifiers might be an addition to food that can give you a leaky gut. And perhaps that then allows your body to absorb things that it really shouldn't absorb and turn on your immune system and cause all sorts of harm. But it doesn't have to be that sophisticated. Like there's all sorts of evidence that what you eat does have an effect upon your mood, isn't there? Mm. So you can look at that through the the sort of pivot of what's happening to the bugs in the colon. Or you can just look at it that like if you eat really well and you exercise, your whole body is healthier. 
your gut's healthier, but but you're often happier. Your mind is clearer. So when I think about gut health, the first sort of things I think about it is having a really good diet. So just with this idea of microbiomes, Mm. I feel like this is like another thing that we have to tend to, like a garden, you know? So are we supposed to be aiming for a flourishing microbiome with lots and lots of different bacteria growing like shrubs? Well, we think that probably is is healthy to have a lot of different sorts of bugs in your microbiome. But the way to do it, the way to tend the garden is to have a really good, healthy, varied diet. You don't need to do much more than that. Okay, great to know we don't have to run out and buy all the probiotics and eat all the fermented foods. Eating a balanced diet with some fermented foods will help your gut bacteria. But like most things, it is all about balance, so don't stress yourself. And next time you take a poo, take a photo and send it to us. I'm joking. It's a joke. But next time you do poo, which is hopefully soon because, let's be honest, they feel great, just think about the billions of bacteria in your gut making your poo happen, irrespective of any sense of shame or embarrassment. Like, how cool is that? Before I leave, I did want to sing you my poo song. It's called Call to Stool. This is your call to stool. Don't be a fool and listen. Shh, what's that? Listen, listen. It's your call to stool. Yay! You can find Ladies We Need to Talk on a podcast app or on the ABC Listen app. Ladies is mixed by Anne-Marie de Betancourt. It's produced by Cassandra Steeth. Supervising producer is Madeline Jenner and our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. The manager of Audio Studios is Kelly Reardon. Do-do-do-do! <laughs> 